0: There is a chance that today's episode might offend you, and the reason I give you that warning is because unpacking narcissism, we end up talking about the Me Too movement. We end up talking about church leadership. We end up talking about toxic masculinity. We kind of go into some areas that people, let's just say, have an opinion or a strong opinion about one or the other. But really our intent is to identify the areas that narcissism has clouded what is a beautiful thing, whether that is Me Too, whether that is the church, or even masculinity. How has narcissism crept in and stifled the healthy aspects or dynamics of those specific areas that we end up talking about? So I ask that you be patient when you listen and not take the first sentence that we say in some topic, but let us unpack it and really dive into the, the ways and the areas that narcissism can influence, negatively influence, control, limit, and block our ability to connect to a healthy paradigm or a healthy reality. As always, if you haven't subscribed already, I ask that you do that and even share with a friend. You know, Our heart is for these episodes to get out and just to stir conversation. If, if it's with us or if it's between you and your friends, if it's provoking conversation, then it's doing its job. So subscribe, leave a comment, leave feedback if you haven't already. Um, but in the meantime, we'll dive into how narcissism, the original douchebag, has infiltrated so many areas of our society today. Men, we are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have death. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. Today's conversation, there is a good chance. If you're a narcissist, you will be offended by the end of it. So you have been warned. Uh, If your wife or your girlfriend is sending you this episode to listen to, I would highly encourage you to pause and go ahead and listen to it anyways and save your offense for later because it may be that it's time for you to grow up a little bit and take a hard look at yourself and see whether or not maybe you have some narcissistic tendencies. I think one of the biggest ones is not feeling like you are one when in reality you actually are. So let's start by diving into Seth, what would you say is a narcissist?
1: A complete and utter douchebag. The end. That's all we got. <laughs> the end. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's probably unfair and too over oversimplified. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I mean, you know, narcissism is kind of this like in the last 10 years, has really been identified as a disorder or, you know, people are just, they're calling it out, yeah. you know? And so there's been a lot of, I don't know, study on it, I'm sure. And, and people talking about it inside therapy sessions and stuff. But I think it's just, um it is somebody who is, thinks the world revolves around them. Yeah. Um, they're very entitled. They have a high sense of grandiosity and self-importance. Um they feel like everybody is there to worship them or to take care of their needs or to move when they need something. Um, but I think and, and and certainly a lack of empathy as well. But I think that less identifiable is just their sense of um a lack of identity and emptiness and boredom and um, you know, just kind of a, a child trapped in a adult body. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I I mean, this happens to be one of those episodes where I I feel I'm feeling a little bit spunky apparently, because I actually think that there's also a lot of narcissism in the women power movement that's come in the last 10 Mm. years. And and let me say, give me a chance to explain that uh, before all you women start commenting that I'm the (laughs) douchebag. is I actually think that there's there is a natural pendulum swing when there, when you've been oppressed or suppressed or shut down for a long period of time that the pendulum does swing to feeling empowered, to having a voice, to um, having a sense of value where it goes from being suppressed and then that pendulum drops and swings to the other side into narcissism and where there is that sense of entitlement or it's your your power is at the expense of something or someone else and that's what i mean by a lot of the women power movement i'm if anyone knows me i am all for women i love to champion them i value highly their input in my life i have spiritual mothers in my life you know all of that i'm not saying that the movement itself has not been good, but I think there is an aspect of it that has swung into narcissism where it's caused a lot of confusion for men. So what's happened is in response to it, one of two things has happened. One, men are feeling either hurt or betrayed or shut down, and so their pendulum swings from you know the narcissist or afraid of being the narcissist into the victim, and then they're completely shut down, which we're going to get into in a second. Or they say they completely dismiss the valid points of the women's movement and latch onto and embrace this narcissistic identity of just saying, well, it's all bullshit. It doesn't matter. And I matter. And women need to bow down to me and submit to me. And and so do other men, You know, extreme alpha males you know, when we say the original douchebag, it's, it, I think it's the, um, the actual reality of toxic masculinity, right? It's the, it's the jock that sleeps with all the cheerleaders that doesn't care about anybody else and feels like he's way more important than he actually is and life revolves around him, et cetera. Yeah, I,
1: um, <clears throat> I think it's uh, something that goes back. I think, I think it's something we're taught. You know, I, I, it's, narcissism has no bias of gender just yeah. like you said it could be male or female and i believe that it's probably taught and and again i'm just gonna disclaimer we are not experts in this field we have no credentials in the field of narcissism or you know so soci- so psychology sociology things of that nature but uh, based off of the data that we've read and the research that we've seen and the studies that are done is that it's something taught by somebody in our, you know, for for men, it could have been their mom. Their mom was a narcissist. And now that translates to me as that uh, women, I can't trust them. And I'm going to adopt this nature and I'm going to have to be selfish and survive and uh, run over people. And it could be flipped the other way. It could be women who had, uh, uh, fathers who were very narcissistic. Yeah, you know it could be it could have been men who had who looked at their dad who was a narcissist and said this is the way to survive. But uh, but the studies that I've looked at, it's typically for men, their mom, quote unquote, wears the pants in the relationship and runs all over dad, and so maybe they're looking at that going, well, wow, <laughs> I don't want to be that, so I'm going to step up and and. It looks like mom has all the power. I'm gonna have to learn to take all the power as well. So, um, I guess the question I have is, Josh, are you are you a narcissist? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I proudly <laughs> wear that that badge, that
0: title. No. I, I think that um, working with plant medicine definitely <laughs> helps you not be a narcissist.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, which
0: will constantly be interwoven into our conversation, but I mean, practically, scientifically, you know, we've touched on it before, but it restricts that blood flow to the default mode network, which is normally where our ego lies, and I think that's where most of our narcissistic tendencies can be found—is in our ego, self-protective mechanisms, and in unhealthy ways of approaching life or relationship or just humanity in in general, and so. I know for me, whether it was sitting in ayahuasca or doing deep experiences with psilocybin, um, you know, you you realize how insignificant you are, right, and how small you are in the scope of the universe, in the scope of just life in general, and then also how connected you are. And so, I think you know, plant medicine in general really helps if, if you're willing to walk down that path and really pursue it. It it's a it's a scary thing because it requires you to let go of control, which I think narcissism is is finds its safety in controlling. And so you know when you have to let go of control, that's step one of the evolution of working with it. But then once you're in those experiences, um, it, it does it exposes your humanity. it broadens your consciousness. it it shows you how connected. I can't tell you how many. Clients I've talked to, friends I've talked to, people I've heard from that come out of a psychedelic experience going, man, we're just, we're all so connected, you know? And Mm. and once you have that perspective shift and that change, it really does help dumb down those narcissistic tendencies. Again, not, not at the expense of you are valuable, you are important, you are unique, you have something, like everyone has something to offer this world. All of that's not thrown out or thrown away, but the unhealthy side of it where the entitlement, the, you know, people are less than me or basically propping myself up at the expense of others really gets confronted at its core.
1: Yeah. And you, I think one thing that the plant medicine obviously does too, is it opens our heart and you can't have your heart open and not be empathetic. Yeah. And I think that's one significant character trait that is missing with narcissism is that they are they either choose or don't have the ability to be empathetic, and so you can't work with the plant medicine and and not be empathetic. And maybe it's a, a transition of like, <clears throat> oh my goodness, my heart is open. I I actually care about this person in front of me, um, and y- you you immediately turn the the lens away from yourself, which it's. You know, as a narcissist, it's always on you, and you point it towards somebody else. It's nearly impossible to then continue with that narcissistic uh, nature. Um, But I think that what's great about this particular topic is that, uh, at least traditionally, narcissism, narcissism, before we knew what it was, probably masqueraded as this masculinity Yeah, but was very very toxic. It wasn't the masculinity that we talk about today, which is you know strength in in um, you know uh, servitude um, or empathy, gentleness, kindness, reserved strength, um, self awareness, you know things like that that you just don't find in the narcissistic nature. Yeah,
0: and I think an important point to bring with that, as far as healthy masculinity is concerned, is there is still room to have. Everything that you just listed, and that inner warrior, that inner badass, that yeah. that you know that is um, willing to embrace the emotion of anger, that is willing to fight for the things that he believes in, you know. It's, but again, it's not at the expense of bulldozing those around him. It's more of those protecting those around him and giving, actually, cultivating a safe place for the people in his life by willing being willing to exert that strength and i think having that unique balance between the inner strength as well as the empathy the compassion the kindness um you know toxic masculinity says only focus on this one side of things and bulldoze everybody who gets in the way and throw out the empathy throw out the compassion throw out having your heart open don't care about others and and only embrace this quote unquote badass, where that healthy masculinity is is walking the line of, no, I'm I'm going to unapologetically be a badass and be strong and be a warrior and and speak my mind and have strength, but I'm going to do that at the same time of being connected to my heart, of extending empathy and compassion for myself and for those around me, for you know, having grace for myself or for other people's process and their journey or their mess or whatever it may be, uh, narcissism says, throw all that out, get rid of it, doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is you. And really, ultimately, at least I don't know about you, but for me, people that I've seen that are narcissistic, you know, they may actually be able to accomplish a lot in the business world or they may be able to achieve their goals, but most of them, that I know end up in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s alone and isolated or bitter towards the world because, you know, they've essentially had a self-fulfilling prophecy of either everybody's out to get them or they, you know, they built everything and it's not anyone else that's helped them, whether that be people or God or the universe. Like it's all on them. And so they arrive at, you know, you've heard the stories over and over again of people that, you know, make great wealth. And then they go, oh, this is it. Like, this is all there is because it ultimately ends to an empty place.
1: Yeah. And I, and it's interesting when you talk about true masculinity and what that looks like, because <clears throat> I guess on some level, especially like when you're in the military, I mean, we're both veterans. And while we were in, we saw, and we probably you know um, embody this a lot as well It's like we have to put on this exterior badass yeah you know to prove that we are strong capable men and in reality most of us are just scared little boys yeah that have just been placed into the military and you know learning how to fight but if we look at like maybe our say our primitive ancestors the the men they their badass masculinity would come out very rarely. And it was one to either fight and kill and bring food, you know, a hunt and bring food into the village or to run away. Like if there was danger and they would have to save, you know, family or themselves. Other than that, men were typically kind of in this place of um, teaching and caring for uh, and and having apprentices within the within the village, and so, you know, th- to shift into this now culture or society where we constantly have to prove that we're a badass, yeah, um, is just a kind of a perverse or uh, confusing uh, masculinity that that probably has warped into this narcissistic thing, uh, which is really kind of just probably survival. We're scared. We don't know who we who we are. Uh, no one's spoken truth into our lives and let us know uh you know spoken um strength like hey you have strength you are strong you have value and and giving them identity and maybe it comes from this emasculation that we could maybe talk about in regards to the church or even just society in general over the last 50 years is you know hey just be quiet sit down that your masculinity is too much yeah uh put it you know put it put it in the corner um and and be more kind and be more soft and really it's it's emasculated men to where they don't know who they are, and then you've got these these men who kind of like overextend themselves, or the pendulum swings to the other side, and now that's this fake or toxic masculinity. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess that's a few thoughts on my end. I don't I don't mean to preach too much, but <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean that's why I asked you if you're a narcissist because I know you're not, you know, and I know that based off of um, who your parents were that. It'd be nearly impossible for you to be a narcissist, but everyone, in my opinion, probably has narcissistic tendencies from one time or another at some point. You know, it doesn't mean you're a narcissist, but we all have a desire or a need to control or manipulate people or situations when we're afraid and we're in a place of fear. We default to trying to control that because we don't like the uncomfortable feelings that we have. And so we become kind of selfish, self absorbed in that moment. And we have a tendency to look like a narcissist, but that doesn't mean we're a narcissist.
0: Yeah. And I always say that, you know, the, a great evolution of identifying how narcissistic you actually are. You know, if you're single and you think that you're not selfish, get into a relationship. Right. Yep. <laughs> and then if you're in a relationship and you think you're not selfish, get married. And then <laughs> if you're married and you think you're not selfish, have yeah. kids. Right? Oh man! And, <laughs> and each one of those evolutions exposes. I know it, it has for me. You know, uh, of just going, man. I I want what I want, and and it's hard to intentionally lay down what you want, or to not be selfish. And again, I, there's obviously the unhealthy side of that where you don't have needs. They come in secondary to everybody else at your own expense. We're not talking about that, right? We're talking about the narcissism side. And and so just in the sense of having those tendencies uh, in in the area of being selfish, uh, evolve your relationship or watch it evolve and watch it, if you're being honest with yourself, expose how selfish by nature I think we all are to a degree and it's really those that are willing to, one, take a hard look at the reality of it. Two, I will continue to beat the drum of having people in your life that know you well enough to call you on it. But three, have the heart posture to be able to hear it, to hear that feedback and to be open to it. Doesn't mean that you know somebody's going to misread a situation or speak out of turn or maybe they don't have the relational equity to be able to call you on something. Etc. But if you just shut out the other voices, I think that's probably, in my opinion, one of the biggest indicators that you are leaning towards a narcissistic tendency or a toxic masculinity side of things where you are just not open to honest feedback or you don't have, you can't list one or two or three or five guys that you can go, oh, yeah, well, he calls me on my shit. You know, I, I can't pr- like fake and say that I'm good. And let that fly indefinitely when my life's spiraling out of control or whatever it may be, um, to have those people that one know you well enough and two are willing to call you on it. But then you have to have the heart posture to be able to be open to the feedback and then course correct and actually adjust and take that input in and realize the areas that you need to take ownership and maybe lay down some of your pride. Yeah. You're not,
1: you're not going to find a narcissist that'll let you do that. (laughs) they're going to think that you're attacking them and that you're wrong and they're right. This is not going to happen. And maybe that's a good indication of what, who a narcissist is. Yeah. You know, have you, I mean, can you identify any, just looking back, any narcissists in your world that you were like, looking back, you're like, Oh man, that guy, that guy or that girl. I mean, not to be, not to be biased.
0: Well, I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, I think I thought you were one when I first met you. So you know, I mean, there, there's that side. That's
1: good. You need to expand on that a little bit. Uh, you need to share a little bit more on that.
0: Oh, just, you know, it, it was it, it was the whole, um, we talked about it. And if you didn't listen to our first season of episode two, when we met each other, we didn't like each other for a variety of reasons. Um, I think one, it just exposed, you know, areas that we, we, in relationship showed things to each other that we didn't like about ourselves right mm-hmm. and and so for me you know i i said before i thought you were a smooth talking car salesman you know and and in that what i mean by that and if you're a car salesman don't i mean my brother sells cars <laughs> like it's the cheesy car salesman that's manipulative and controlling etc that's who i'm talking about um but just in the sense of always having an answer always having a really smooth, you know, response to any kind of feedback that sort of kind of acknowledges it, but doesn't really, it's still dismissive at the same time. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially within church, it was, I think, a huge red flag of a narcissist. I'm not saying this is necessarily you or was you. Uh, It may have been sometimes, but I think it was me sometimes too. But it was the, you know, the person who had a problem And then God fixed it the night before you have the conversation every time (laughs) or, you know, went to a conference and then had this revelation and realization. And then now it's no longer an issue, but that's, and I'm not saying that people can't have that, but a narcissist within the church has, is only using quote unquote God's voice and is, is the, essentially God is the scapegoat for their narcissism because They're always able to go, oh, yeah, well, I used to deal with this, but now I don't anymore. And yet they're still dealing with it over and over again, you know, one day, one week, one month, one year later. And so it's not actually resolved because they're not confronting it. They're just putting a Band-Aid over, you know, heart surgery and not actually looking at the reality of it. And because, going back to you, like when we were in a men's group where we were supposed to be sharing vulnerably and opening our heart and all that kind of stuff, and you had some of that not necessarily i don't distinctly remember you know god fixed this last night thing but it was it was sort of like that in the sense of oh well you know we would give feedback to each other and and you could always weasel your way through acknowledging and yet
1: dismissing at the same time yeah yeah (laughs) i just thought you were an arrogant asshole. you know i didn't know what narcissism was (laughs) you know neither of us knew what narcissism (laughs) was back then but I think we were both looking at looking at each other, going, "God, what a prick! Yeah, arrogance, you know." But um, yeah, I think if you want to find a narcissist quick, and I, and I don't want to beat up the the church too bad, but you you know you can find them all over, I mean, all over any real organization where there's power, you know. Where well, you can take an inventory
0: a, of church leadership if you'd like. I'll, I'll say it. Church, you don't need yeah. to,
1: but. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Make sure the notes show Josh. <laughs> Josh is the one that said it first. No, but seriously, I mean, narcissism is very rampant in the church and really any organization, like even like gurus in in eastern philosophy uh, or eastern religions, you know, it is this need to be worshiped. It is this need to feel important and that everybody is looking to you for the answers and it fills that part of your identity that's empty. And, and you you absorb that energy and that power from people um, but at the same time' you're, you're empty inside it doesn't actually do anything for your self-worth. It's just that attention need met in that moment. And so like going back to to you and I, I was I didn't want you or others in the group to to think that I was messed up in that moment right yeah. so oh it was it was it was already fixed. so thank you for your feedback but I'm still as good as you or better you know and so it wasn't okay to be vulnerable to be broken to be in a place of uh, healing but i do remember like having opportunities to be in sort of church leadership and thank god that i wasn't because i did not have the capacity to do it i would have turned into probably a narcissistic prick just because i didn't know who i was yeah i didn't have any identity yet i didn't um yeah, I just didn't have any self-worth. There was too much like self-criticism, self-hatred there that I would have been filled up by what other people thought of me or by the facade that I put out there, that I'm amazing and yeah. I can do this and that. And and there is there is a reason why you're looking to me for the answers, you know, kind of thing. So- Oh, I I had a handful of clients that were worship leaders
0: and mm. they were narcissists. I mean, it's just plain and simple, you know, because here they were, the one person that was leading everybody into an experience and essentially they were owed, and I don't think any, thinking back through it, like I don't think any one of them consciously knew it or was maliciously trying to manipulate people, but they were being fed off of the response that people gave them. You know, oh, you have such a great voice. You have such a great gift. You have, can I serve you? How can I serve you? You know all of that, which again, there's healthy and unhealthy aspects of that. I don't think that there's, you know, anything wrong with wanting to al- align yourself with someone that you respect and um, build relationship with them. But the church environment, in my opinion, is a breeding ground for narcissism because of the the whole service mentality, right? Which is basically, I I have gotten insight from God in some form or fashion that makes me better than or further down the road than you. And I'm your spiritual mentor, spiritual father, spiritual mother, whatever it may be. And your gateway to those experiences is through um, basically feeding my narcissism. And you, you can't ask questions. You can't challenge me because I'm quote unquote leadership, right? So you're not leadership. I'm leadership. And so I'm this there's an untouchable realm that I, that you can't access or confront or challenge. And if you do, you're stepping out of alignment, right? And and then you need to get back in line essentially.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think about when narcissism first came on my radar, I didn't even know, I had no idea what it was. And it came from the ex-wife in our marriage where she just called me a narcissist. And I'm like, what the heck is a narcissist? I don't want to be a narcissist. Yeah. So I'm going to go seek help to try to remove this narcissist possibility, you know? And I think that for those that are listening, that's kind of clue number one. Like a narcissist will not ever admit they're, they're a narcissist. They'll deny the whole thing. And most of the time, if, you have, if you've heard any discussion about narcissism, you'll hear, hear the term gaslighting. Yeah. Right. And so they will immediately turn it around on the other person, you know? Yeah, you're you're this way, you know, uh, the the victim or the codependent role in the relationship. They're saying you're you do this, and it and it's going over my boundaries. And they go, they immediately turn it around on you and say, no, you do that, you do that, da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And they're gaslighting, which essentially is just turning the blame onto the other person. And so I think the first one of the you know, when I began to start looking into it, I was like, okay, I don't want to be this person. How do I? address the manipulation control um, tendencies that I might have inside this relationship and very quickly realize, okay, I'm not a narcissist. Yeah. But if I'm humble and honest, I do have narcissistic tendencies. And I think to go back to what you were just saying about the church is that if you're, if you feel like you have all the answers, if you're not teachable or correctable, then you have a lack of humility. And And I think one of the main turning points for me is when I came to a realization, that i don't know shit like that became my mantra yeah like everything that i thought i knew to be truth could eventually not or couldn't possibly not be true but i am acting like i have the answers and i've done that multiple times especially in the church and so when i came to the realization that hey i don't actually i don't know shit then I, be, I entered into a very humble place where I could be teachable. Um, I'm open. There's no judgment. And these are all characteristics that are void of of the narcissist. Yeah. So.
0: And I think you touched on an important thing. Real, we don't spend too much time because right now we're talking about narcissism specifically. But in order for someone who is a narcissist to. I don't want to use the word thrive, but to to be fed, uh, they need to find a victim. Right. They they need to find someone who is willing to feed their narcissism. And the thing is, it, it working with clients, you know, a narcissist, when they find a victim that essentially worships the ground that they walk on and will do anything for them, they love it. Right. That relationship is euphoric and it's amazing because finally somebody is willing to serve and and just give of themselves and if i say jump they say how high and all of that but ultimately that relationship falls apart because that victim eventually reaches a point where you know they aren't validated that they aren't lifted up in the same way so then the finger pointing and the blaming starts to happen and then the you know if if the victim happens to be at a place where you know they start working on themselves and then start confronting the narcissism within the relationship, you know, ultimately it it normally leads to that relationship blowing up in some form or fashion. But a narcissist loves to find a victim because then it it validates them, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, especially I don't know about you, but um, in in rebound relationships, right? If a narcissist breaks up with somebody normally that rebound relationship that they find is going to be someone who very strongly walks in a victim mentality or has that victim mindset because it's like, oh, man, finally, like all, all of these things that that I care about for myself and that I'm entitled to and that matter to me, they're validating it. They're just saying yes and amen to all of it. And that feels so good. And for people that I know that have worked through narcissism and actually uh, confronted it and started to get healing from you know the the drivers of it. Looking back, you know they realize I actually don't want a victim in my life. I I want I want to be strong, but I want someone else that's strong with me, alongside me. And it it may be a temporary. It's kind of like you know getting high or getting drunk or whatever it may be. It may be a temporary feel good in the moment, but that next morning. If you drink too much, you're gonna feel it and, it, and it's never ultimately what you want,
1: and it's always a temporal thing. Yeah, I mean, it, in, I mean, I've never seen a narcissist in a relationship with another narcissist. Yeah, I don't think I've ever even heard of that before. Just because the, the dynamic, the it doesn't allow for it. There always has to be in these certain situations a, a giver and a taker. And, you know, we talked about codependency in, in a previous episode and just kind of what that, that looks like, <clears throat> but it's very similar to, you know, what we see in the leadership in the church going back to that is that I need you to validate what I'm saying and what I'm doing and that codependent person or that that one that looks, they are the victim, they're being victimized by the narcissist because the narcissist is constantly running over their boundaries. Uh, they they are feeling like, okay, as long as I can keep this narcissist happy or this person happy, then I'm okay, right? If you're okay, I'm okay. But I've got a a, a really good friend who um, she recently got out of a, a very awful narcissistic relationship. And uh, it was, I mean, it was devastating. It, he had done a, a number on her and she got out and she's now like an advocate for um what, I mean, she would say domestic violence, domestic abuse. She wrote a whole book about it and uh, speaks on multiple podcasts and is just speaking out so that people become more aware of that. But the nature of their relationship was that she was doing everything around the house. Like she kept it clean. I mean, she also had a job, right? She had a business she was running, but she's the only one taking care of the house. She's the one that's entertaining his friends when they come over and, you know, getting them what they need. And he over here on the other on the other hand is is being very elusive, uh, hiding hiding is a big one, yeah. right? And doing drugs that she didn't she wasn't aware of, uh, sleeping around with other people. You know, it's like that constant need for validation as a narcissist, and and just having somebody there to essentially not only validate but just kind of uh, clean up after them. You know, to take care of them, to, to give them, take care of their, their basic needs kind of thing. But there's no value for that person. They do not care about that person. But if that codependent victim tries to leave, then it's like love bombs. I love yeah. you. I will, you know, they go to the extreme. I will do this. I will do that, you know, buying jewelry, taking them on trips. You know, it's just like it lives in the extreme, uh, you know, spectrum. It's very, it's very strange. And I'm sure people listening are like, oh man, I've seen that before, or I've experienced that before, you know, or I think they go one of two ways,
0: right? Which is the love bomb, right? I'm going to do really extravagant things to try to win you back, or they actually play the victim mode, right? So it's good. So they respond depending on where the relationship is. But a lot of times when a victim starts to have a voice or start to set boundaries or they start to get healing and realize, hey, what's going on is not okay, and they start to confront that, then then the narcissist switches gears and it's the whole gaslighting, right? Where they actually play the victim role. They embrace the victim for Mm -hmm. what when when the victim asks for something small, right? A simple boundary, um, whatever that may be. Then all of a sudden that simple ask becomes a huge ask for the narcissist and they can't believe it or they you know they try to shut it down by playing that victim role and saying you know i can't believe that you're doing this to me you know that you are that you're leaving me or that you're saying i have to get counseling or that you're you know you're doing this to me and they fall into that victim role long enough to get back into control and for the victim to then fall back into their role and and then they can you know go back into that unhealthy status quo of narcissism so i think that's just another thing to be aware of is you know they they may try to love bomb and go you know you're beautiful you're amazing you i you know i can't live without you please don't leave or they'll switch gears to the finger pointing and the victim both of them are manipulative in order to get you back into a place of that victim role to keep the relationship feeding essentially feeding
1: their narcissism yeah i was just thinking about it because we we were talking about this earlier and on the on the previous um podcast we were talking about codependency relationship you can have a codependent relationship without narcissist but in any narcissist relationship it is codependent yeah like each person depends on the other person to fulfill that role because you would not find a um an independent functioning person in that kind of relationship like they would be out like well you cross the boundary and you you keep doing it you're gone yeah like you would not find a healthy person that knows who they are that has self-worth stay in that sort of situation so it must mean that you've got two people that i guess in my opinion that are both victims playing different roles within this dynamic you know that we talked about the um, the empowerment dynamic. Yeah. And for those that don't know what that what we're talking about, it's the the TED triangle or the empowerment dynamic, uh, which we'll put a we'll put a link in the in the um, show notes. But the the premise is is that you've got inside the victim orientation three roles, and one of them is the victim, the other one is a, is a persecutor, and the other one is a rescuer. And this is like a game of, of uh, musical chairs where like you were just expressing, the, the narcissist can become the victim very easily and look at the codependent person, uh, the person that's not the narcissist as the persecutor. Yeah. Like, oh, you're coming against me and, and now they need someone to rescue them. And that may not be, that may be a person. Like, oh, they run to family. Uh, maybe they run to some sort of addictive substance. Maybe they just, they, you know, medicate on TV or food or or shopping or whatever it might be to rescue themselves from that uncomfortable emotion that the persecutor is is creating in them. But yeah, I mean the, the narcissist could be a victim too. They can fit they can sit in that chair.
0: Yeah. So if someone is either in a let's let's start with somebody who's in a relationship with a narcissist, what do they do?
1: Well, first you got to figure out that you're in that position, <laughs> you know, like you become self-aware. Yeah. Look at, look at the characteristics. See how that person makes you feel. Does anybody else treat you that way? Do you have a, do your friends treat you that way? You know, is this, is this somebody that, you know, cause here's the thing is you could, you could love that person. They could be a complete asshole and you can still love them, but that does not mean you're supposed to stay in that relationship. Love is not always enough, you know, and some people stay in those relationships. Cause like, I love him. I love him, or I love her, and they stay in these unhealthy relationships when they're not being respected, they're not being cared for, and their boundaries are constantly violated. So look at your first of all. Do you know your boundaries? Yeah. What is okay with you? Well, you know, is it okay that he stays out all hours of the night and doesn't let you know? Yeah. Probably not.
0: I think an important and that's just one point on that is is that. And I don't want to speak for you, so push back on this if if it's not accurate, but in the sense of not staying in the relationship, I think it's not staying in the relationship that it currently is, right? It's it's important to at least give people the opportunity to change. And a narcissist, you know, they may or may not be at a place in their life where they want change or that they want to change or they're willing to change, but um I think if you are realizing or you're listening to this conversation, you're going, oh, shit, that is, yep, that's me. Oh, man, that's, wait a minute, that's narcissism? Wait a minute, what? That it doesn't mean that, okay, next week you need to go end that relationship, but you do need to end the relationship as it is right now and begin to change that status quo. And, and really what you're doing by doing that is you're inviting them into something that is different and ultimately... They have to choose if they want to join you in that invitation.
1: Yeah. Um, I would take that even a step further and I would say yes. However, if you are in a relationship where there is uh, abuse, is abuse—yeah, yeah. physical, sexual, um, emotional abuse, then get out of that. Yeah, that's You fair. are worth more. Then to try to fix and you it's not your job to fix the relationship at all. That's not your job. It's, it's the job of both people. Yeah. If they're both willing, but if there's any sort of abuse, then you need to remove yourself from that situation, which is oftentimes the hardest thing to do. Okay. Cause that then indicates like, okay, I'm going to be alone. Uh, if I can't have this person, I can't have anybody better, you know? And so it, there's a perspective shift, a paradigm shift that needs to happen. But if there's abuse, get out. Now, if maybe it's a, a low functioning or low level type of narcissism that you're seeing, like, yeah, don't necessarily jump ship if you feel like, hey, I can exercise, I can voice some boundaries and give that person the opportunity to rise up, yeah, to step up, but only if there's not abuse. Yeah, If it's more of just like a, a boundary thing, like, like I said before, they're staying out at all hours of the night, they're not letting you know, like, that's a simple one. Hey, it's not okay for you know for me that you behave this way. So can we work it something out? Mm-hmm. I need communication, I need to know. Let's and if if they're unwilling, then hey, there's your answer. You know, why would you want to be in a relationship where you're not valued and what you have as a boundary or or your 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 needs are not valued by that other person, why be in a relationship with them? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And If you're listening to this and you are maybe disagreeing with some of it, but realizing, you know what, some of these narcissistic things that we're talking about, I do. I don't even necessarily agree that it's a bad or wrong thing, but I do find myself doing them, then it may be time for you to hit pause on your justifications and Really take a hard look. You know, I, I think anybody can change. They have to want to. They have to do the work. It's not easy. You know, all of that is true. But I think anybody has the capacity to change that is willing to invest the intentionality and the effort into making that change happen in their life. And so, you know, if you hear this, one, uh, I can confidently say that I'm not judging or accusing you of anything at all. I think we all, like we said, we we have those tendencies. Um, but if this is resonating or challenging you in certain ways, then I, I would encourage you to hit pause and maybe find one or two or three people that you share this episode with and just say, hey, listen to this and I, give me feedback. You know, What do you think? Do you see me as the victim? Do you see me as the narcissist? Like, Where do I fit into this? And I would just encourage you to become curious instead of offended. And I I think that pursuing growth with curiosity instead of offense or fear or regret is one of the best motivators that you can use, or or one of the easiest tools to switch your internal dialogue into something that actually moves you forward rather than keeps you trapped in the cycle internally of where you are at now. And so, um, you know, this is, we're just scratching the surface of narcissism in general. But hopefully if you found yourself or find yourself in kind of that victim role again, what Seth said, I can't agree with more. If if there is abuse, get out. But if you're just in an unhealthy dynamic within a relationship, challenge it. Get get out of the relationship that currently is and begin to do the work on yourself. Because the other side of it is in order for a narcissist to thrive, they need the victim to be the victim. So why have you been the victim for so long, however long that is? And begin to let that other person not be the scapegoat for your hardship, but actually be a motivator for you to take a hard look at yourself, regardless of where you fall on either side of the spectrum, and really begin to do the work internally, that hard work to change your internal paradigm, which then ripples into changing your external paradigm in the sense of the relationships that you find yourself in.